Welcome to the Sports Equity Podcast. Here we talk to special guests from teams, brands, and agencies to discuss the value that sports brings to business through current trends and best practices with your host, Brett Weisbrot. Our guest was a top draft pick in 1988, U.S. Olympian, and played 10 years in the NBA, now serving as Certified Master Facilitator for Global Leadership Development and Training Company Fierce Conversations. We welcome Charles Smith to the program. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here, and uh, good to see you. Good to see you, too. So, Charles, tell us a little bit about yourself and and where you're from originally. Oh, well, I'm from uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, I went to a high school called Warren Harding High School. And uh, actually, um, we had three NBA players come out of that school. Wes Matthews, who uh, won a uh, ring with the Lakers, and John Bagley, who was the Big East Player of the Year as a sophomore and went on to play about 14 seasons in the NBA. That's awesome. And then, um, you know, I know you got recruited uh, to play at Pitt. You know, how did playing at Pitt first come about? Well, you know, um, it's an interesting story. Um, I wanted to go to University of Maryland. And um, uh, they didn't have to recruit me. I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. I was there. I got a phone call the day I was getting ready to take a trip there. And they told me that they had no more scholarships left. They were signing Derek Lewis. So I was so pissed off at uh, the ACC, I went wanted to go Big East now. So uh, I was recruited by the last three were UConn, Villanova, and Pitt. Pitt seemed more closer to uh, Bridgeport, uh, my hometown, and uh, I kind of I liked it and uh, went and you know kind of built a program with uh, Demetrius Gore and then Jerome Lane came in after us. That's awesome. And who would you say had the biggest impact on your development in college? Well, while I was in college, uh, that's a good question. Um, Actually, it was probably probably my high school coach that had the biggest impact on my college development because he made me and prepared me. I was college ready by the time I got in. So a lot of what I was utilizing was what I learned in high school. And I just got, you know, kind of a little taller, a little stronger. And of course, you know, Paul Evans was a good coach and, you know, I, he taught me how to block shots better. Um, so that was it. And uh, the rest is history. And, you know, taking it a step further, when did you realize you're going to play for professionally? Well, you know, I, I didn't um, look at, the pros at all until my my junior year of college after I came off the world games uh and I led the the team in scoring and we won a gold medal beating Russia everybody was talking about me so I said oh I might be going have an opportunity to play professionally but I never thought of thought of it or looked at it because my goal was just to graduate from college on time and I wasn't I was playing, but I wasn't thinking about professional ranks. So the first time I watched the NBA game was with Demetrius and Jerome. My junior year, we were at a pizza hut on campus and we watched the NBA game. That was my first game I watched from the beginning to the end. That's awesome. So going from not even thinking about it your sophomore year to graduating and being a number three overall pick 
uh, immediately being traded to the Clippers. You know, how did that feel to be such a hot commodity? Well, you know what? I, um, I didn't think I was a hot commodity, actually. Uh, I was just, you know, wondering where I was going to go and getting ready to play at the next level. Um, I, uh, what's interesting is, uh, you know, you meet so many teams, you fly out, you work out for so many teams, you have an idea where you're going to go draft day if you're a top pick. So I knew that the um, uh, New Jersey Nets were going to take me at the fourth pick if I was available at the fourth pick. And I knew the Golden State Warriors were going to take me at the fifth pick if I was available there. So with me being selected at the third pick for a trade because Philly wanted Percy Hawkins, that's how, you know, that happened. But um, I pretty much knew I had an idea where I would go um, draft day. I would say if, if you end up going to the Nets, this would have been a different conversation because I was living in Livingston 15 minutes away at the time, a, a huge fan. But, you know, we'll get into that later, how now you, uh, <laughs> you ended up playing for my dad's Knicks for some time. So what was it like moving to such a big market at the age of 22 in Los Angeles? Well, you know what? I, um, I had traveled a lot prior to getting in the NBA uh, because, like I said, we traveled all over Spain. Uh, for the world games, I traveled, um, you know, with other teams, uh, sports festival in Louisiana. So I traveled a lot. So um, I had been to some major cities and, and around the world already. And um, going to Los Angeles, I didn't really get time to think about it because I came off the 88 Olympics, had about, you know, maybe a few weeks at best. And I just got to LA to try to get situated with an apartment and those sorts of things and get settled because I had to go to practice and report to training camp. So uh, I didn't even really think about it. It was just on to the next thing, but I definitely enjoyed Los Angeles while I was there. And then, you know, I know you transitioned, you played in a couple of different markets, but you know, when you're in New York, you had a chance to play with the best of the best. Um, in 94, I believe it was, you had a chance to play in the finals against the Rockets, <clears throat> you know, playing in some big games, whether it be Olympics, whether it just be NBA, you know, what was your biggest takeaway or memory from playing in the finals? <laughs> the, the biggest takeaway? We freaking lost. <laughs> but, but you know what? There, there's a, there's a, you know, a couple of things that stand out. I just remember like yesterday, um, you know, Coach Riley was a very serious task master and believed in, you know, if you weren't working, if you weren't winning, you needed to work harder to win. And I just remember that game seven shoot around in Houston and Houston just got finished their shoot around and Vernon Maxwell and Kenny Smith are playing football with the basketball, throwing bomb passes and, they're real loose and uh, they're coming uh, onto the floor. We had shoot around first. So we're getting ready to walk off the floor. We just had a hard workout. My knees are iced up off of shoot around. My knees are iced. And I'm saying, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture. It doesn't have to be this hard. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a vivid memory that I have uh, that last practice of game seven. And between L.A., New York, and San Antonio, what, what would you say was your favorite market? 
You know what? That's a great question. But for me and my development and my maturity as a player, and then after I finished playing, they all gave me something. And I'll tell you why. I played in a major market in LA with a team that lost all the time. There was a learning experience to see how that team, uh, the management, you know, dealt with the team and how they ran their business. Then you go to New York, major market winning team. And it was a big difference in how that team managed, uh, you know, the organization, the management uh, of the organization and how they did things. Then I go to a small market in San Antonio with the mediocre team. And that was totally different. So I got a really good um, understanding of uh, what the league is like overall. I, I don't leave with a, uh, a very myopic view. I had a very broad view of, of the league overall. And I, and I love that. And who would you say over the years playing with that you've kept the strongest relationship with even nowadays? Oh, there's a, quite a few guys that I talk to. I, I mean, I talk to Rolando Blackman all the time. I may go to uh, John Stark Cigar, Cigar uh, Club in Stanford, Connecticut. I run into Oak every now and then. Uh, I don't talk to Patrick much. Um, but there's players on other teams like Gary Grant. I talked to Dale Ellis the other day. So I talked to a lot of guys uh, uh, that I played against and played with. You know, and something, I don't know if it's something you talk to your, you know, to your friends when you were playing, but, you know, at what point in your career did you realize you had to set yourself up for your next step or call it your second act? Well, you know, there was a situation that happened when I first got to L.A. to the Clippers and, uh, you know, my hero, my idol, um, Norm Nixon was on the team and uh, that was like his last year. And I saw the way they treated him. Uh, it wasn't a good exit for, for Norm Nixon. And uh, it just didn't look right. And, and it didn't feel good. And I, I always thought to myself, man, could that be me, you know, when my, my time is up? And um, so it was always in the back of my mind. In the last four or five years of my career, I really, you know, I did a lot of things while I played business-wise. But, you know, my last four or five years, I started to really you know, take it up a few notches to, to try to figure out what I'm going to do after I finish playing and what interests me. And, and I just kind of went to conferences and, you know, talked to a lot of people and, and, and made a nice transition. Yeah, I always found it interesting, like even once hearing Jamal Mashburn speak, how the second they started playing, they just started buying franchise and buying franchises. And everyone has like their niche or has an idea of, you know, what maybe not does or doesn't have an idea what their future will look like. But, you know, how would you say you found out that you wanted to position yourself at the intersection of sports, you know, business, events, even technology? Well, technology was it. I, I'm a, I love gadgets. I'm a, a geek at heart. And uh, that, the innovation back then in the, uh, you know, late night 90s and the internet coming into play and all those things happening, it was very exciting times. So... Uh, I just kind of got introduced to technology through sports. So there was a lot of sports technology kicking in and that's where I wanted to be. And it worked out really well because I, uh, I got into that space. I had some success and I never left technology and never left sports, uh, sports tech even today. 
And, you know, now your team works with organizations, right, to design training programs with athletes and, you know, if anything, better understand leveraging high performing teamwork dynamics, right? You know, what are some of the companies you've been able to partner with at Fierce? Well, the, the one thing I would say is that we're not just working with athletes. Uh, Fierce itself is an organization that has over 250 blue chip companies. I'm a master facilitator that helps companies increase their bottom line through effective communication. It's just through our conversations and being at Fierce, we realize, and I realize, geez, there's a huge market here within the sports industry when it comes to effective communication, because I looked at my career. You know, one thing about effective communication is, you know, you always want to have the hard conversations, whether it's in business or your personal life. Because if you don't have it, you're destined for a negative impact. If you do have it, it gives you an opportunity for a positive impact. And I think of all the hard conversations that I didn't have. Uh, anything dealing with you know, racial tensions, confrontation. Uh, I think about the coaches that I had that um, I don't have a great relationship today with because I didn't have those hard conversations. So, you know, having dealing with fears and understanding the effect, the effective uh, solutions through communication with sports that determines wins and losses. When you have international players and other players on the team and they're not communicating well, that plays onto the court. When you have a coach and a player not communicating well and they're having issue that issues that plays onto the court. So I, once I dug into it and understood what I was doing with companies and what was missing from the sports industry, it was, it was lights out for me. I knew that there's a huge opportunity there and we're having some success with it. And when you talk about, to, you know, talk to athletes, non-athletes, just in general about, you know, developing a high performance team, what does that mean to you? Well, it, it goes, it's, it's kind of, uh, it goes both ways, a high performance team in sports in a high performance team in, in business. But for me, uh, because I've been a C-level executive on the corporate side for about six years, I've been an entrepreneur um, and obviously my sports career, it gives me a real good understanding of your question. I can say, for example, most corporations and executives don't really know the true essence of teams. Uh, they talk about it, but they really don't know. And that's probably why you don't see startup companies, you know, corporations, businesses become a dynasty like you do in sports because they don't understand the element. And I'm able to uh, bring some information and have some, you know, really thought provoking conversations around that concept that I think help companies. And then maybe talking more on an individual level, you know, how do you help athletes focus on their skill sets that are transferable? You know, to me, maybe even like your versatility on and off the court. You know, that's, it's really a, a conversation. Every athlete is different. And we're not just talking about NBA. I deal with NFL players. I was just talking to a swimmer, a professional swimmer. Yes. Was it yesterday? Uh, yeah. Yesterday I was talking to a professional swimmer uh, yesterday morning, but you know, it's all athletes. And what I do is customizable. I try to look at what they feel their skill sets are. And then I try to, you know, find a career path for them that doesn't seem like work 
because it fits into who they are and how they are as a person and an athlete. And would you say, you know, I know you mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation about addressing maybe some social impact issues and different things like that. Would you say having some of those conversations that, you know, people are a little more open-minded and empty-headed to having now, those now versus maybe 12 months ago, a couple of years ago? Yeah. And let me tell you how this works, because with fierce, it's all about the artificial intelligence and technology. You know, these hard conversations we're talking about, fierce puts people and companies in position to have them in a very warm, you know, comfortable environment, like you're sitting in a living room. So if you can think of 3D animation and you can build your own avatar and you can create through artificial intelligence, any conversation you want, and you can go through it and watch it portray itself out on a, on a TV screen. And you have options of how you can have the conversation and answer questions and artificial intelligence continues to kick in and then tell you, do you think you wanna answer the question that way? Because if you answer it that way, this is how the person can perceive it, can perceive it. Or if you answer it this way, this is how the person might take it. And it really helps that by the time the 3D animation is over, now the people can either apologize to each other, they say they understand it better, but I love their technology, it's, it's endless. And, um, you know, I know Ed has a major part, Ed Beltran, at forming this business as CEO. What's something that you've learned from Ed over your time there? Ed and I, I, I believe, are, we're, we're like brothers from another mother. I mean, we hit it off so, it's so easy to talk to Ed. It's easy to work with Ed. You know, the first two times we, we spoke, it was really about the relationship, who I am, who he is how he got to where he is, how I got to where I am. And we understood each other. And let me tell you, the first time I thought we were gonna have a hard conversation and it was based on economics, it wasn't a hard conversation. We just kind of got through it and moved forward because he understood me. So Ed is, what I learned from Ed is that he understands this whole concept of the communication, communication style and what Fierce does and what they bring to corporations. Then he understands the technology behind it. So I learn a ton for him, from him, and I will continue to learn from him. And he does learn from me also with regards to what I bring to the table on the sports side. So we hit it off really well, and we're having a lot of fun together. So, you know, I know you do a really good job of working with, uh, you know, people in these environments, but I know it's equally important to you that you've had the opportunity to replace yourself on the court. You know, this week you have the opportunity to see Chase play in the ACC uh, championship tournament, right, in North Carolina. Uh, what's that like as a parent? Well, you know, I, uh, I, I love the fact that he's having the experience of being on the team. He's maturing. Uh, he's, he's getting better as a player. He doesn't, he doesn't play that much. Of course, he likes to. Every player would like to. But I just support him. You know, he's studying Chinese and uh, finance. He's going to do well in the future. He's very smart, humble. Um, just he's, he's, he's going to do so well. So I'm very proud of him. And uh, my youngest son, Chandler uh, Smith, is here. and We're here to support him, and we're going to see him. And we're just enjoying the time down here at the ACC tournament. And you guys are the fifth father-son combo at Pitt to play. What would you say that you and your son both bring that maybe not every father-son combo brings to the game? 
I didn't know that we were the fifth combo. Never, never knew that. Thanks for that information. But, you know, uh, I was a center and he's a guard. So, so we're, we're, but we do talk about uh, the game. Uh, he has a passion for it. And, um, you know, we have some great conversations surrounding the game and using sport in the game of how to excel in life. So those conversations are, are, are always good and he's learning so much and I learn a lot from him as well. And I would say before we leave, if you could tell, if you can give one piece of advice, whether it's transitioning from sport to business or just anyone really thinking about where, uh, where their path could be going and just changing times, what would that be? Well, I, I always um, like to, you know, mentor, uh, I'm mentoring a couple top high school kids going into college um, for sports, you know, and it's anybody who's uh, transitioning. Don't wait to the 11th hour to transition. Think ahead, always keep something moving. Um, you're, you're in a great space. You have a lot of relationships around you. You have a lot of people around you. Um, don't wait to the 11th hour. Um, a transition is easiest when you're thinking ahead and you got really good people around you it makes it that much easier and you don't step on the landmines that others have stepped on in the past. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming and contributing to sports equity and, you know, wish you and the family a lot of luck in Greensboro this week. Thank you. And thanks for having me on your show. Of course. Great to have you. Thanks, Charles. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the sports equity podcast, where we discuss the value that sports brings to business. Follow us for new episodes on a weekly basis. See you next time.